Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder. Phil Goldfeder hopefully be joining us later on in the show. And wow, what a week it's been in the political world. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we have to talk about the ongoing suffering in Puerto Rico and just the ongoing crisis there. And, you know, you don't wish upon anyone a the Katrina moment, but it seems the Katrina moment, the ineffectiveness of government in getting aid to where it needs to be right now is a little bit uh, breathtaking. And uh, we are here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, around the world on Ruth Sheva, Israel National News Slash Radio. And when you watch American citizens suffering and not be able to get food, water, basic necessities, no power on the island, hospitals closed, roads closed, everything, just devastation. And I hate to say, I, I know President's a good cheerleader. He's actually been very effective, I think, on her, on Harvey and Irma and getting out there and getting things done and cutting through red tape. For some reason, Puerto Rico and I guess to a lesser extent, the U.S. Virgin Islands have kind of escaped that. Um, for whatever reason, he you know he's blaming the Jones Act. He can't get the ships there. And he says, well, people tell us that we're doing a good job, but you can look the visual pictures just like we had in Katrina, just like we had in New Orleans, the pictures of people desperate for help and it's, help is not there. It's not happening. Or they're saying, well, it might be in the ports and it might be sitting there ready and there might be supplies, but they're not getting to the right place. I mean, the whole point to FEMA, the whole point of having the Army and National Guard and the Navy to get there and to get resources to where they need to be, we have the ability as a country to do that. And it should be done, and it needs to be done. And we need, we can't allow Americans to go ahead and suffer because they can't get basic necessities to the right place. There's enough supplies to make it happen. And strangely enough, the president says, well, we can't get the stuff to Puerto Rico because it's an island. And it's an island in a very big ocean. This was an odd statement. I know... There's a certain amount of defensiveness. I know that he really, I, I believe he really wants to do the right thing here, but it's absurd. <laughs> I mean, first of all, they knew Puerto Rico was an island, so you can plan for that. Number two is it's not that far from the United States. Yes, okay, you can't roll huge generator trucks in there just easily, but you can airlift supplies. You can get stuff to the right. We can send helicopters. And Governor Cuomo of New York has been doing that. He's getting stuff out there, and he's getting. And there are others who have been acting. For some reason, the federal government and and the president has not even put it at the top of his agenda for quite some time. He was too busy talking about the NFL, and I guess we'll get to the NFL hopefully a little bit later. But you know, it's been a, it's been a week politically that saw the nominee or the winning the primary win of Roy Moore, former judge of the Supreme Court, chief judge of the uh, Supreme Court judge in Alabama, a, a I, I, to say he's right wing was a, be a little bit of an understatement. I mean, Roy Moore is more of a far, a, a way well out of the mainstream type. I mean, really, you know, the, some of the statements that he's made, I mean, he, this is a guy who has actually said that he believes that Sharia law 
has been imposed in America, in Illinois and Indiana. He said that on the record. It's not as if, you know, he said things about gays. He said things about that are just, well, they, they, they kind of pale in any, and he, and he brandished a gun at a campaign rally. So, yes, he's the outsider. Um, it was actually a significant loss for the president because the president had backed the incumbent or the, the appointed Senator Luther Strange, who was appointed a senator in, in um, uh, ignominious uh, circumstances, we'll put it that way. And the president went out and went to Alabama, and he was very equivocal in his support of uh, of of. of strange, you know, kind of said, well, maybe I make a mistake, maybe. And then Bannon goes out there and supports Roy Moore, who most people think is more the more Trumpian of the two, you know, the anti-establishment. You know, this is kind of a referendum on Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republic. It certainly didn't help that Luther Strange was sitting there as health care went down a second time or a third time or a fourth time, however many times you want to talk. And it's just been, well, it, it's just been a bad week as far. And now the president is lamenting the fact that he has going ahead and that he went ahead and backed the wrong guy. You know, John Trump portrays him as he's a winner. He always wins. We're going to be winning so much. We're going to get sick of winning. And when you actually go ahead and throw the weight of the presidency, he didn't need to. It was a primary. It was a Republican primary fight. Did he need to throw the weight of the presidency behind somebody? Yes, he saw an opportunity to help at an incumbent senator to mend relations with the Senate, which he probably needed to do after criticizing so many of the U.S. senators, the Republican senators, those on his team, those on his party. And then he doesn't win, and that's a big uh, takedown, come down for him. So it wasn't a good week. And what's a little bit worse, which has kind of been subsumed and perhaps purposefully so, and I, I definitely am of the opinion at this point that the social wars and the wars like the NFL wars that the president is taking on are there to obfuscate, to take, to dominate the news cycle from other things, because I think that one of the big stories this week, and a lot of people say, well, it's not a big deal, who cares, it's not, is the email scandal. I think that you have a situation where top White House officials, including the president's son, son-in-law and his daughter, used private email accounts and private email servers. Now, whatever they exchanged, whatever they didn't, but at a very basic level here, okay, there. this is top White House officials. Donald Trump, I believe, won the presidency because... People were sick of what Hillary Clinton did or the Clintons did, the secrecy, the and, and the like to go ahead and or, or the arrogance of using a private email server while serving as a government official, the, the hiding items and to go ahead and then do that while in the White House after having won the campaign based on that issue or you don't want to say that was the only factor with the campaign largely having making a large issue of that there's no question that trump over and over made the emails an issue and then you go ahead and get into the white house and you do the exact same thing and in fact right now are unapologetic about it oh it was a small amount well of course it wasn't of course it wasn't thirty thousand because 
how long you've been in the White House for. But to go ahead and do it, the stupidity of it is quite breathtaking. The arrogance of it is just shocking. And clearly, I think, like other things and other times, we know that the president goes ahead and picks these fights and does these little fights and these little skirmishes along the culture war and along the cultural divide, maybe a little race baiting. Uh, I think we see that in some tweets this morning. And goes ahead to kind of throw these headlines off that nobody is talking. Nobody's been talking for all week. Yeah, the emails were a small story, but the big story was, you know, Alabama, or the big story was talking about the hurricane. And the even bigger story that's dominated the headlines has been the NFL and whether their right to protest of NFL players that they can go ahead and protest and take a knee during the national anthem. And the president, I think, well, effectively is for his base because I think the arguments, you know, that he makes these binary choices, either you're with me or you're with the people who hate America. You're either stand for the flag or you desecrate the flag. There's no middle ground. I want these SOBs fired. I mean, that's, that's the problem. Is that when he goes ahead and says something like that, I want these SOBs fired, it's such incendiary, it's so provocative, you almost have to respond. And then, you know, he kind of goes after the NFL owners, many of whom are his friends, and have voted and donated to him significantly. And he says that the NFL owners are cowed by their players. And, you know, I don't want to just say that there is a... a, Well, I I don't want to say there's just a, a straight racial element on this. But I do think when you go ahead and talk about, in these cases, many of the players are black... And many of the many of the players are, you know, are, are African American, and many of the owners are white. And you know, when when you have this idea, oh, you got to fire them because they does. I believe. Look, I, I stand for the pledge. I put my hand, uh, my hand over my heart. I stand for the national anthem with reverence for this great country. And for what it's done, and it's been a beacon of freedom and tolerance and acceptance and has allowed minorities such as us in the Jewish community to flourish like no other in history. But at the same time, we also have the freedom to protest. And that's also what makes this country great. And it makes it actually quite incredible. And when you say, when you talk about the fact that well, you know, when you talk about the fact that people should be fired for protesting, for taking a stand, for gaining light to certain issues, that's got to me. That's just un-American. I mean, that's just as un-American in, in a way as saying that you should not go ahead and honor the flag. But 
you create those binary choices. See, Trump wasn't just saying, wasn't just out there saying, you should stand for the flag. We don't like you taking a knee. That's fine. That's suppressing an opinion. I don't like what Colin Kaepernick got ahead and did. I don't like what, but to say that these SOBs should be fired for doing something like that, that only rallies other people to the cause. And of course, that's probably what he wanted because then he wanted the backlash. He didn't want the back and forth and to go ahead and do it. And that's what a divisive person does. And the funny thing is he continues to call himself a uniter when in fact he goes out of his way to be divisive and it's hard not to defend. I mean, I believe the amazing thing is, well, I, you know, Mike Pence, I had a a very simple and good tweet about it that you can't not disagree is imagine we're criticizing the president for telling people to stand for the for the national anthem. Right. Correct. That is simple. That is exactly what to do. That's what the president should be doing. He should be saying you should stand for the national anthem. You shouldn't say that I like instead that I want people to be punished for protesting. I want people to be silenced for protesting. I want people to be cast out for protesting there's a difference between the two so in another way i mean there's also the the polling came out this week just with regard there's a couple interesting items here with regard to the president and uh, a majority of american voters say donald trump is not fit to serve as president that goes across 51 percent now so you might say, okay, it's 51%. That's, you know, polling error. People don't get the polling right, et cetera. You know, it's probably less. But the problem here is it's half, you know, somewhere around half of Americans feel the president is not fit to serve. Okay, 59% say Trump is not honest. 60% he say he does not have a good leadership skills. And 61% say he does not share their values. 69 to 26% say that Trump should stop tweeting. That's a full 70% of Americans say he should stop tweeting. The amazing, you know, the excuse of the tweet is he wants to have his unfiltered message out there, but most Americans feel that the tweeting is self-destructive. I mean, the tweeting is self-destructive. So much of Trump's problems, so much of the president's problems are coming about through tweets, through things that he says unfiltered. And it's not as if you need a filter. I mean, I don't mind, you know, he should go ahead, but... Things like the travel ban they re-released this this week, and he added certain countries in there. Which I, I mean, North Korea, I guess, in order to make it a non-Muslim country, but you can't even as a North Korean travel to the U.S. anyway. But he added countries like Tra- Chad in there, which is an ally of ours, which is odd. But the funny thing is, it's not going to get him away from the problem of his campaign promises and his pronouncements over and over that he is going to enact a Muslim ban. And I'm sure that the courts are going to continue to weigh that. And even if he wins, even if they win on the issue and the courts say it's immaterial, you still have it out there. You still have these comments that he continues to make and when he makes them on Twitter. And it's been you know, self-defeating. The funny thing is about the tweets is that this week after Luther Strange lost in Alabama to Roy Moore, as we mentioned, and that was the the proxy war, the Bannon versus Trump war, and Trump came out uh, on the short end. He deleted the tweets that he had made supporting Luther Strange, as if he wanted to erase them from history to say that, oh, well, it wasn't didn't really happen. I didn't really support 
Luther Strange. Uh, I don't want that out there. Now, the funny thing, when you would go ahead and delete the tweets and people obviously follow your Twitter feed, I mean, you can't imagine that they're not going to. Of course, the media is going to say you're drawing more attention to the fact that you support it. Now, there's no reason he has to be apologetic for supporting an incumbent Republican senator in a primary. He doesn't he didn't have to get involved, but he did get involved. And that's not a big deal. I don't think most people are saying that, you know, there were a lot of intangibles why this guy would have lost. But that's not it's not entirely blamed on him. And then you go ahead and rewrite history and whitewash history in order to do that. It's part of this fundamental dishonesty about in the idea that the same way he said yesterday that the reason healthcare failed is because one of the senators, Tad, Tad Cochran of Mississippi, is in the hospital, which he isn't. And that's not why healthcare failed. The healthcare failed because of simple math. You need 51 votes to pass it. And they don't have, they only have 49 Republican senators who are willing, who are even on paper right now who are willing to support it. Actually, I think it's 48. So you just can't, you don't have the votes, literally. It's a math issue. It's an arithmetic issue. It's not even multiplication or division. It's a simple subtraction. So you can't do that. And and he keeps going back to the filibuster thing. Well, we don't, you know, we should get to 51 votes to pass anything. The Republicans don't have 51 votes. And this is a thing that you have to, you know, as if he's surprised that about dysfunction in Washington, it can be dysfunctional. The Senate can be a very messy place where you actually have to compromise. And the funny thing is when Trump has gotten done, we've praised him here on the show for it in the last couple of weeks. He's done that in a bipartisan manner. But a lot of people are not going to be willing to work with him in order to go ahead and try and make things happen like that. But they're not going to want to deal with him and they're not going to, Democrats are not going to want to have anything to do with him if he's so racially and economically and just divisive such a continues to be such a divisive character in america i mean it's just very difficult for democrats to reach across the aisle to try and do that i'm overall look phil washington is a mess and it's only getting messier right now and the president is kind of not finding his way uh as polls certainly indicate with with you know 50 percent of the country just saying he's unfit to serve no, thanks. Thanks for letting me get a word in here, Michael. It's, uh, no, look, I agree with you. I think, I think, look, we've proven that we all want to see something get done. And you and I have said it, you know, literally we're blue in the face. Like, we just want to see something get done. It's not about Democrat. It's not about Republican. It's about finding ways to get something done. Um, and we're only seeing it when you find ways to come together. You know, it's interesting, you know, when he was cutting deals, um, when he was working with Senator Schumer and, and Nancy Pelosi, like, the Republicans didn't like it because he was working with the Democrats and maybe he didn't do it as well as he should have in terms of finding ways to bring everybody together. But like we actually accomplished something, right? We actually were taking positive steps forward. And so, you know, I think this president has to recognize what's working and what isn't. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the tax reform plan. We're seeing more and more details. I mean, I, we talked about this weeks ago when that well, napkin came out with like the three ideas. Well, no one will know what how the tax of plan affects trump because we don't know what his taxes are <laughs> his comments yesterday were you know and i was watched i watched his speech in indianapolis and the comments like it's bad for me it's like right. you know who cares stop talking like how it's good for you it's bad for you this this whole idea trust me it's bad for me that's how you know it's such a good plan you know i'm not sold i don't believe him anymore believe me right are we not finished with that 
tax reform is important because it's needed, because yeah. it's necessary, because the tax code is insanely complicated, because people hate doing their taxes or hate having even somebody else do their taxes and spending thousands of dollars on on taxes and dealing with all that. And simplifying the tax code could make I, it would be great for our economy in so many ways. That's why tax reform is needed because you can't keep everything the same for decades and decades. Agreed. No, I absolutely agree. Although, like, we, you know, the devil is in the details, and what we're hearing about local state tax deductions, right? That's a big problem for Very us bad in New, for York. New York. That is going to decimate New York. You know, you talk about middle class tax cuts. Here in New York, we are going to get decimated. You already got to check out which state you're going to move to. <laughs> exactly. Um, why do you think, you know, the tax system is the reason why people were already moving to other states and going to Florida, and you do this, and you literally will gut New York um, and its middle class, and I think that is devastating. But look, as you and I both know, this is not a done deal. This is not a, a finished product. There is going to be a lot of politics in Here's what's most fascinating. Someone said to me yesterday, well, are you worried? Like, what's going to happen in New York? And I said, no, because I am not even a little bit convinced that we're actually going to get something done here. Right. right? Well, so far, it hasn't gotten done. But I, I want to bring your attention to this because I, I this very interesting Washington Post poll, and not because it's a not because it's a significant poll in a sense of it actually means anything, but they talked, they, they polled... A th- it's not even a poll. It's like a, a survey. They they polled a thousand people and they said what one word best describes your impression of Trump. And the top ten are very interesting. And you know, so this is out of a thousand people. So nine percent said strong, determined, bold. Okay, those are the three. Those are basically the same word. And I think and and you see the president uses those words over and over. And then the next three are. Arrogant, egocentric, narcissist, incompetent, unqualified, idiotic, ignorant. Then you go good. Number five, at 6% is greatest, great, good. And then six, bad, horrible, dangerous, a bully, leader. It's another theme that he uses over that. Buffoon, clown jokes, and then racist, Nazi. That's actually 2%. Now, I don't think it's fair, the ones and 2%, but the truth is that you have at the top, you have that difference between if you take arrogant, egocentric, narcissist, incompetent, unqualified, and idiot and ignorant, you actually get to over 20%. That means over 20% of, of, of Americans, when polled, asked to describe the president in one word, Okay, those are pretty bad words to describe for any for any leader. I, I, you know, you've been elected official. A lot of people will call you all kinds of names and stuff like that, but they probably wouldn't use these names. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I agree with you, and I don't disagree with many of the responses to to the poll. I mean, this is it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, it really is just a very sad state of affairs, and and. I think we're all looking for hope. You know, whenever like there's a, a positive movement, um, we're seeing things get done. I think a lot of us are like, well, okay, we're finally turning the corner. We're getting there. And then all of a sudden, I mean, this president created the kneeling for the national anthem. I mean, it was essentially almost a, a I don't want to say it's a non-story, but the story had sort of faded away. You know, Colin Kaepernick. Doesn't he have was out of the league. It was over. Like it, it kind of like just, was was moving on like the country kind of gotten past it and, and and thankfully we haven't seen incidences in a long time and it's been we're putting some distance between that i think a, a bad stretch in 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 u.s history and, we, and again it doesn't mean that everything is great i'm not saying that everything was for the better but like the kind of the rhetoric was over and things were moving forward and all of a sudden 
this president created, you know, this idea of, of, of the kneeling and the not kneeling and the national anthem respecting and not respecting. This president created this. It. He created it. And why? By the way, let's be clear. He just did a, it as for a, his 30%. As, a, as I said earlier, just a distraction to get away from the Jared Kushner email server. The real, but look, to take it away from the... But, and this is... You're still marketing to your same 30%. But the president did manage to tweet yesterday that... Virtually no president has accomplished what we have accomplished in the first nine months, and the economy is roaring. So self-confidence is not a problem for him. But we got to turn our attention as we as we close out, and uh, I want to wish everybody out there, Gamar Chasimatova, for uh, uh, and uh, an easy, meaningful fast, Phil. We have to to the man who made Donald Trump the president, and who man uh, in the news this week, who I want to say uh, a a very sad person that we both knew. And uh, just just a tragedy, a political tragedy, a real tragedy. Anthony Weiner sentenced to 21 months in prison, um, uh, publicly crying in the courtroom, and you know, gone from punchline to just actual, real. I, what do you say? What do you say? I mean, we have to talk about it, but it's it's just so sad. Yeah, look, Anthony Weiner. I was the about man to, destroyed his life. I, I was about to say Anthony Weiner was a good friend, but the truth is, Anthony Weiner is, is a good friend, right? He he's somebody who sort of came came up through the ranks and very similar to the way I came up in the ranks. And, and he was, I mean, he literally had chance after chance. I mean, forget, you know, just that he was in Congress, but even when he came back in 2013 to run for mayor, he actually could have been mayor, right? He actually could have won the race. And he was leading in the polls, like sort of out of nowhere, all of a sudden he was leading in the polls and his campaign grew. And then all of a sudden we had the problem again. I mean, even after that, to do it all over again and essentially to sort of continue to dig that hole and ultimately many people have said to to, to be the downfall for Hillary's campaign, uh, bringing the email situation right back to the forefront just a few weeks before the election. And so it's it's sad. I mean, clearly he has a problem. Clearly it's a disease. It's a sickness um, of some sort. I, I can't explain it. But I mean, to literally just take what was a very promising career um, with, limitless, with limitless, limitless possibilities and just throw it down the garbage. And now to go to prison, it's more than just a punchline. His life is over. Uh, he has to register as a sex offender for 20 years. I mean, it's his life is essentially over. Yeah, I mean, 21 months and that. But he has, you know, he has a five-year-old and uh, who he's not going to see, you know, on a regular basis. And he's getting divorced. And it's just, a, if you think about it, I mean, the man, the man probably, I, I look, in my opinion, he would have been mayor in New York City. And, uh, and but... Uh, <laughs> His alternate ego, Carlos Danger, I guess, should get the better of him. I, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to believe, considering what we think about now, where we're dealing with, with, with this presidency, um, and some of the issues there. But that a person could be so uh, self-destructive, constructively self-destructive, and and I, Anthony Weiner, in a lot of ways, was a was a New York City politician. Um, and you know, captured a lot of what New York was about. I I don't I don't even know. It's it's hard to you know that whole middle class persona that he had and the way the way he he struck very strong positions on issues and stuff. I, I look, you know, it's it's sad. It's sad. Anybody who goes down like that in in this most spectacular way. Um, at the same time, uh, Dean Skelos this week learned that uh, state senator, our former state senator here, uh, learned that he was uh, his conviction was overturned. Um, and uh, I think uh, you know uh, some have condemned that. I I, I do not. I think uh, you know uh, for whatever happened and it was it was messy. It was disgusting. But the justice the justice system. 
um, has its, uh, you know, has its faults. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't never say faults. I think the justice system has, uh, you know, cr- creates justice, and you go under the law that exists, and the law is, and the law has changed, and the, the definitions have changed. And uh, I think uh, Dean Skelos, while while messy and smelly, and not necessarily something you we all want to see from government, but at the same time, um, was it in fact criminal? And the courts are saying that uh, right now it was not. Um, and look, I think. You know, yet to be seen if they're going to retry him and um, and Shelley Silver. You know, again, I'm I'm no legal expert, but I, I can tell you that. Look, people recognize that, and I and this is not a an indictment on, on Shelley and or Dean, but like, government is clearly not working, and there's no question there is corruption, right? Look, you we've seen others who are now sitting in prison in the city, the state, and even the federal level, yep. and so. We've got to find a way to restore the public trust. And that again, that, that's not about Dean or Shelley Silver. It's just about we've got to sort of find new ways to ins- you know to ensure the public trust and to get people focused and um, and believing in their government again. And, and quite frankly, I, I don't see any indication that that's actually going to happen. Uh, right. Well, I, no, I don't I don't disagree with that. And especially look, when you have uh, gov- cabinet officials out there squandering $600,000 right. on chartered flights. Right. I, I, and I'm going to give my spin award of the week. Actually, we're out of time, believe it or not, Phil, that the uh, Steve Mnuchin, when asked about his chartered flights uh, on uh, this week, he said, they said, you spent $30,000 on the flight and his response was, well, actually, it wasn't $30,000. It was expensive, but it wasn't $30,000. I says, okay, thank you, Steve Mnuchin. You have now explained to us why it's justified for you to have taken that flight. So that's it for this week. We will be back in uh, quite a few weeks. Uh, after the Sukkis break. Uh, Phil, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.